Welcome to the Practical Employment Law Podcast, a podcast covering all aspects of American employment law. I'm your host, Mark Chumley. Employer-created smartphone apps are a hot topic in employment law that I get a lot of questions about. The idea is that employees download their employer's app on their smartphone and use it for various aspects of their employment. These things are all the rage right now, and they come in a lot of different varieties. Some employers use them for employee engagement and communication and do things like issue employee schedules, training reminders, and other communications. Other employers use them for more job-related purposes, like making work assignments or managing route or delivery drivers. And some are just updated versions of older systems, like expense reimbursement. Whatever the purpose, they raise a whole host of employment law issues. If you are considering a smartphone app for your employees, I'm going to give you five issues to consider in this episode. Issue number one, reimbursement. Two states, California and Illinois, have statutes specifically requiring reimbursement for required employee cell phone use. Several other states have statutes that require employees be reimbursed for business expenses and arguably require cell phone reimbursement. These states include Iowa, Massachusetts, Minnesota, Montana, New Hampshire, New York, Pennsylvania, and the District of Columbia. Several companies, such as Schwann's, ABM, and Morgan Stanley, have been hit with lawsuits touching on these issues. The problem with these statutes is they do not specify exactly how reimbursement is to be calculated. Most impose a reasonable reimbursement standard. Since there can always be disagreement about what is reasonable, there is an inherent risk in any approach short of completely covering the employee phones. For employers who don't want to go that far, there are a lot of methods and formulas that can be employed, but there is an element of subjectivity to all of them. Options include paying a percentage of the employee's bill, possibly based on tracking usage or coming up with a flat stipend amount. There are likely other approaches as well, and employers should consider including some kind of appeals process for employees who believe they are entitled to additional compensation. Whatever approach is selected, employers should be able to show a documented process that they used to arrive at their reasonable reimbursement approach. Issue number two, wage and hour issues. The Fair Labor Standards Act requires that employees be paid for all hours that the employer suffers or permits to be worked. When employees have an app on their phone, it opens the door to a lot of unauthorized work time related to using the app, checking messages, and so forth. Employers have a difficult time arguing that such time is not compensable when they require employees to use an app. There are technical fixes to this problem, such as completely locking the app when employees are not checked in, but these often interfere with functionality that employers want to have. If employers want to push out schedules and other work-related announcements via an app, they will need to consider how to compensate employees for time spent on the app. Another related issue is addressing app use during meal and rest periods. In states that require such breaks, employee app use during breaks could cause employees to take breaks shorter than the time required by law. Finally, there's a minimum wage issue here as well. Employees may argue that the expenses related to their smartphones take their wages below minimum wage. This can be addressed by reimbursement and is a reason why even employers in states without specific reimbursement laws need to consider the issue. 
Next, let's consider discrimination. If employers require the use of an app, employees must have a smartphone. If employers do not provide the phone, it becomes a condition of employment, and employers may face claims that the requirement constitutes disparate treatment and is a proxy for legally protected characteristics. There is also the possibility of a disparate impact argument. That is, that a facially neutral requirement, such as phone ownership, has a disparate impact on a protected class. Given the broad ownership of smartphones, it's difficult to gauge the extent of the risk of such claims, but it is worth considering what to do with employees or applicants who do not have access to smartphones. I took a look at the Pew Research data on smartphone ownership, and while the numbers are fairly consistent across the board for men, women, and various races, there is a steady drop-off among people aged 50 and older, so perhaps the greatest risk in this area is age discrimination. Issue number four, privacy. Placing an app on a personal phone that tracks and gathers data, for example, location, creates possible privacy issues. The first thing employers need to do is develop a clear understanding of exactly what data their apps are gathering. This seems obvious, but is often far from clear. Another issue to clarify is when data tracking occurs, and in particular, if it occurs outside of work hours. Many states have so-called lawful activity statutes that prohibit adverse action for employees based on lawful conduct outside of work. Most employers wisely stay away from these issues, but I heard a story from another attorney recently about a manager who was considering using location tracking on employee cell phones to determine if any employees had been involved in a recent protest that got out of hand. These kind of situations present risks for employers, and it is better to know upfront what information is tracked and what it can be used for. Putting aside fairly extreme scenarios like the one I just mentioned, most of the privacy issues employers would experience can be addressed by obtaining written disclaimers from employees regarding their reasonable expectation of privacy and limiting data collection during non-work hours. Again, this has to be planned out, and employers should consider making the disclaimer part of the app's terms and conditions when it is downloaded and periodically obtaining updated disclaimers from employees who use the app. Finally, the last issue I want to mention is safety. Many employers are using apps for employees who work out of vehicles, whether they are route drivers, delivery people, outside salespeople, or something else. Having drivers use an app presents an inherent risk that needs to be addressed via policy and training. Any accident that occurs due to distracted driving related to the employer's app presents a risk of substantial liability. As a result, the employer needs to take appropriate steps to ensure that drivers are properly trained. Again, there may be technical solutions to this issue, such as training modules and disclaimers built into the app, or even features that would limit accessibility while a person is driving. The safety issue can also extend beyond driving to other areas where distraction could cause injury. This certainly includes manufacturing and warehouse settings, but it could even be broader than that. The key for employers considering using an app is identifying the risks and finding a way to address them via policy or training or possibly technical solutions. This has been the Practical Employment Law Podcast. Thanks for listening. Please watch for future episodes wherever you get podcasts. And if you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe and leave us a review. If you would like to contact me about any aspect of the podcast, my email address
address is mchumley at kmklaw.com, and my full contact information is in the show notes. This podcast was created for general informational purposes only and does not constitute legal advice or a solicitation to provide legal services. Although we attempt to ensure that the podcast is complete, accurate, and up-to-date, we assume no responsibility for its completeness, accuracy, or timeliness. The information in this podcast is not intended to create, and listening to it does not constitute an attorney-client relationship. Listeners should not act upon this information without seeking professional legal counsel.